This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. So we are involved with a, a Bible college training and seminary training ministry, and there are actually a number of Bible colleges that are scattered throughout India. Most of them are very, very small. So the college that we're involved with is probably one of the larger um, ministries there in India. There's another college I'm aware of uh, northeast of us in the city of Chennai. It's probably about uh, 300 miles from us. It's called the Hindustan Bible Institute. It's been around for quite a while. It was founded by a man named Paul Gupta in 1952. So if you know about the history of India, this was a time of a lot of upheaval in India. So in 1947 was when India gained its independence from what country? Great Britain. And then 1950 was when India inaugurated their constitution. And around this time, there was just a lot of uh, violence going on. Um, uh, Hindus were moving down into the south. Uh, Muslims were going up to Pakistan and East Pakistan, which is Bangladesh today. And um, a lot of clash between these people groups, so a lot of unrest and a lot of bloodshed during that time. But 1952 is when the Southern, Southern Bible College was founded. But Paul Gupta's desire for the college, for that college there, was that they produce evangelists and church planners who could uh, reach all of India with the gospel. But there became a point when Paul Gupta became very concerned that they were not accomplishing that vision. They were not producing for evangelizing the lost. They were not producing these evangelists and church planners who would reach India. And that first came to his attention at one of their graduation banquets. So every year they would have a special meal for all of their graduating students. And at this meal, the students would share with one another what they were planning on doing once they finished, once they finished their degree and left the college. And out of this one particular graduating class, there was only one student. Only one who's actually going out to be directly involved in ministry. All of the others felt inadequate. They felt unprepared. Uh, many of them were, were simply going on for further education. The Hindustan Bible Institute had experienced a lot of success from a human standpoint over the many years of their existence. They had grown. They had become accredited. They had improved their programs of study. But ultimately, the leadership of the college realized that they were still failing. They were failing to accomplish their goal for existing. They were not producing faithful men who would go out with the gospel. They were failing, ultimately, to perpetuate gospel ministry. And that was the burden of the Apostle Paul near the end of his life. You can go ahead and turn to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is where we'll be looking at this morning. This is probably one of the last books that we have that, that Paul wrote, that we know of that Paul wrote. Paul knew that after his death, the gospel ministry must continue. His successors must continue to train leadership who could continue the work of the ministry of teaching others. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, contain Paul's instructions to Timothy about perpetuating gospel ministry. How accomplished. Let's read this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Thou, therefore, my son, 
Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Now, before we look at this passage in detail, I want to talk a little bit about this man, Timothy, to whom Paul is addressing this letter. We're told that Paul first meets Timothy on his second missionary journey. Do you all remember how many missionary journeys Paul went on? There's three missionary journeys. There was a fourth journey to Rome under Roman guard that was not exactly part of Paul's plan, but it was part of God's plan. We're told that he met Timothy in the town of Lystra, which is in south-central, modern-day Turkey. We're told that his father was a Greek and his mother was a Jew. And although Timothy lived very early on in the life of the church, he's actually a third-generation believer. Uh, We know from the first few verses of 2 Timothy that his grandmother, Lois, was the first one in his family who was converted, and his grandmother um, and his mother was also a believer, making him a third-generation Christian. He had an excellent reputation among the believers there in his hometown of Lystra, and even as far away as Iconium, which was 30 miles from Lystra, the believers there had heard about Timothy and were aware of his excellent testimony and ministry for the Lord. So Paul took Timothy with him, and Timothy was remained with Paul for the rest of his second missionary journey. And, and also for all of Paul's third missionary journey, Timothy was with Paul, being trained and mentored under, under Paul himself. It's interesting how often Timothy shows up in Paul's letters. Paul mentions Timothy by name 17 times in his letters. And in fact, Timothy is listed as a co-author of of six of those letters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul and Timothy to the church at Corinth, or Paul and Timothy to the church at Thessalonica, or Paul and Timothy to the church at Colossae. The author of Hebrews also mentions Timothy, In the last chapter there, apparently, Timothy had just been released from prison, and so the author of Hebrews mentions that. Timothy remained at uh, a number of these small churches that Paul started, um, shepherding these, these infant flocks of believers as Paul moved on to new territory. So by the time that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, Timothy is a real veteran missionary, veteran minister of the gospel with extensive ministry experience. Paul is probably writing to Timothy from the city of Rome. He's probably languishing in the infamous Mamertine prison there. And Paul knows that his death is imminent. And according to church tradition, Paul was executed only three years after writing this letter, beheaded by the emperor Nero. Paul is concerned to perpetuate the ministry of the gospel once he's gone, once he's no longer on the scene. Who is going to carry on the work of the ministry? 
the gospel must continue to advance. But even a man with extensive ministry experience, a man like, like Timothy, with an excellent reputation, with trained under Paul himself, a, a, a wonderful testimony for the Lord, even Timothy needed this advice and this encouragement from Paul. Now, none of us, I'm sure, are anywhere near the level that Timothy was in his experience and his passion for the Lord, passion for evangelism. And how much more do we need this encouragement? This passage is applicable to everyone here. What is your ministry in this church? All of us have, have others that we rub shoulders with every day that we exert profound influence on, perhaps children or, or parents or, or siblings or coworkers. This passage in 2 Timothy teaches us that in order to perpetuate gospel ministry, servants of Christ must follow the four imperatives we find here. There are four commands in this passage, and I want to go ahead and point them out to you. First command is right there in verse 1. In verse 1, we are commanded to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2 contains our next command. Verse 2 tells us that we are to commit certain things to faithful men. Actually, that verse is the verse that appears on our, our college crest as our logo. And then the third imperative, the third command, is in verse 3. What's the command in verse 3? Can you point it out? We are to endure hardness. We are to suffer well, is the idea. And then finally, verse 7, the last verse contains our final imperative. Uh, Paul commands us to consider what I say. So at the time that we have left, I want to look at these commands in a little more detail. First, and most importantly, in order to perpetuate gospel ministry, we must be strengthened by Christ's grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. God strengthens us with grace. Now this almost sounds like it's something that we are supposed to do for ourselves. We are to be strong. We are to muster up this strength in ourselves. But actually, this verb is in the passive voice. It's not in the active voice. This is not something that we do, but it's passive. It's something that what? It's something that's done to us. We must be strengthened is the idea. We must have an attitude that will allow God to strengthen us, an attitude that will allow God to do the strengthening for us. This is an interesting verb in our New Testament. It occurs only seven times, but it's interesting to note that whenever a person is the subject of this verb, it's always in the passive voice. This is something that is done to people. But whenever God is the subject of this verb, it's always in the active voice. God is the one who does the action. And the people he does it to are us, you and I, believers in him. But we must receive it. God is the one who does the strengthening for us. But God uses grace to achieve this strengthening. What is grace? Can someone give me a short definition of grace? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's goodness to us when we deserve punishment God's goodness to us by, by sending Christ to die for our sin. 
And when we are commanded to be strengthened in grace, the function of this strengthening is to augment, to support our ministry as Christians. We do nothing to deserve this grace to us. We do not work for it, but God is good to us, even though we've done nothing that would make him want to be good to us. And when God strengthens us for ministry, it is a function of that grace to us, a function of that unmerited goodness to us. The final phrase of verse 1 fills out our understanding of this grace. The grace in which we are strengthened is found where? Where is it? In Christ Jesus. Whenever the New Testament speaks of the grace of Jesus Christ, it nearly always is referring to his goodness in providing salvation and the Christian calling. Earlier in 2 Timothy in chapter 1, Paul explains that God saved us and called us according to his grace. The grace with which God strengthens us is accomplished by Christ Jesus. And this grace refers to our entire salvation experience, the progressive sanctification involved. So how do we obey this first command, this first imperative, to be strengthened with the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Well, we must be surrendered to God to allow him to work through us. We must surrender our whole being to God. As it talks about in Romans chapter 12, we are told to present our bodies a what? A living sacrifice. To allow him to do with us whatever he wants us to do. Meditate on the goodness of God in providing your justification, in working your sanctification, in making you one of his saints, one of his holy ones. And in this way, you will be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We're looking at these commands in order to perpetuate gospel ministry. What's the first command that we just looked at? We're to be strong in Christ's grace. And the second command, verse 2, effective servants of Christ must commit to others, commit what you've learned to others. Well, first of all, what is it that we are committing to others? What is it that we're delivering over, that we're passing on? Well, deliver over right there it says, what you have heard from me among many witnesses. Paul instructs Timothy to pass on the things that he has learned from him. These are things that Timothy has heard from Paul among many witnesses. There were, Timothy was with Paul on his second and third missionary journey. And I'm sure he heard Paul preach many, many times. And there were many witnesses who could also attest to what Paul preached. Well, what did Paul preach? Well, in his missionary journeys, Paul really focused on virgin territory. Paul wanted to preach in places that had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. He talks about this in Romans chapter 15. So Paul really focused on the gospel and his preaching on the essentials of the gospel. The book of Acts uh, gives us some samples of what Paul preached and, and some samples of, of Paul's experiences in spreading the gospel. We're told that Timothy joined um, Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, and soon after Timothy joined the team there, Paul received a vision from God telling him that God wanted him to preach the gospel in Macedonia. 
And so they, they endeavored to go into Macedonia um, to preach the gospel there. And soon after that, they came to the town of Philippi. And at Philippi, there was this demon-possessed girl who kept on following them around. And she was saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. She testified that they were also preaching the gospel, the way of salvation. And then a few later, a few verses later in chapter 17, Paul comes to Thessalonica. And it talks that Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. And for three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is the Christ. Paul preached a crucified and resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is the message that Paul wants Timothy to pass on to others. But there are many other things that we find in Paul's letters that Timothy, I'm sure, learned from Paul himself. The, the truths of our justification in the book of Romans, the teaching regarding our salvation in the book of, of Galatians and Ephesians. These books are filled with theology that Timothy, I'm sure, learned from Paul himself. These are the things that Paul wants Timothy to pass on, to commit to others. That, those are the things that we are to pass on, that we are to commit to others. But to whom, what kind of people are we to entrust this teaching with? To whom are we to commit these things to? Well, he says, commit thou to what kind of men? Faithful men. This is the kind of person to whom we must entrust gospel teaching. This word translated faithful here often simply refers to people who are full of faith full of faith in the gospel. It has a little bit of a broader meaning than our English word faithful. This word is used back in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, where it teaches us that God is the Savior of all men, especially of the faithful, of those that believe, who are full of faith in the gospel. So the kind of people to whom we must entrust gospel teaching are people who are believers, who are full of faith in the gospel. But this word also has the normal meaning that we think of when we use the word faithful. It, means, it refers to the idea of someone who is reliable or trustworthy. The kind of people to whom we must entrust gospel teaching are those who believe the gospel and who will be faithful, who will be dependable, who will be trustworthy. If we ask them to do, do something, we know that they'll do it. If we give them a task, we can be confident that they will finish it. And that brings us to our final part of verse 2. What are these people supposed to be faithful in doing? Why must we commit this to others? We must commit what we've learned to others so that they, in turn, will teach others also. Look at the final phrase there in verse 2. Who shall be able to teach others also? This is the reason we are committing gospel truth to others so that they can pass it on. These people are individuals who will be faithful and passing on the teaching to others. We learn gospel truth, we commit it to faithful men, and they teach it to others. We learn gospel truth, we commit it to faithful men, and they teach it to others. This is how the ministry of the gospel is perpetuated. We have a responsibility with the things that we learn. 
the things that we learn every week in these pews right here in this room. Our responsibility with it is to pass it on, to commit it to others. Are you faithful? Are you dependable? Are you trustworthy? Can we depend on you to pass on, to commit this teaching that you learn to others? This is what it takes to perpetuate the gospel ministry. The author of Hebrews writes in chapter 2 that by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. I hope that's not true of anyone here to be taught that we ought to be teachers. We ought to be passing these songs and committing them to others. But sometimes we do need to be taught again the basic oracles of the, of the basic principles of the oracles of God. God calls us to learn gospel truth and to pass it on to others who will faithfully teach others. We're looking at these four imperatives that Paul gives Timothy about perpetuating gospel ministry. What was the first command he gives? Be strong in Christ's grace. The second command? Commit what you've learned to others. The third command, verses 3 through 6, we are told to endure hardness. The idea is we are to suffer well. In these four verses, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, Paul is drawing three analogies to illustrate the reality of suffering in a servant, the, the reality of suffering in the life of a servant who is perpetuating gospel ministry. First analogy he makes is right there in verses 3 through 4. What kind of person is he talking about in verses 3 and 4? He's talking about a soldier. Verse 5, the analogy isn't real clear in our King James, but it's talking about um, someone who's competing as an athlete. And then verse 6 contains our final analogy. Who's he talking about in verse 5? He's talking about a husbandman or a farmer. First of all, we must suffer well as a soldier. It's not a question of if you will suffer. You will suffer. But we must make the choice now that we will suffer well as a good soldier. In this soldier analogy, Christ is our captain. He is our leader. He is the one who has recruited us, who has called us into his service. And in this soldier analogy, Paul wants to teach something about, about suffering in our quest to perpetuate gospel ministry. His point is that a soldier refuses entanglement in life affairs. And when he does that, his reward is that he pleases the one who calls him. The military can be a difficult calling for a family man. Often it requires being away from your family, from your children, from your wife for extended periods of time. It can demand moving frequently, going from place to place around the country or, or even around the world. Someone in the military must be willing to go anywhere his military commander needs him. He cannot put his roots down deep in any one location. He must be ready to move whenever the military bids him. So a soldier often gives up the stability and the ease that a civilian life affairs in order to pursue, pursue the, the calling of the military. But we too, in a sense, are soldiers. Jesus Christ has called us to be his soldiers. 
And as soldiers of Jesus Christ, we must renounce anything that might entangle us in our calling. Anything that would hinder us in our service to Christ. We must be totally dedicated to and immersed in our calling as a soldier of Jesus Christ. We must be willing to do anything that Christ demands of us. Absolutely anything. I don't know what things may be entangling you in your life. It's going to be different for each person. Things that, that may, may keep you from serving Christ with the single-minded devotion he demands and deserves. But in order to perpetuate gospel ministry, we must be willing to suffer the sacrifice that a soldier makes by denying himself the pleasures of an easy life. And when you deny yourself and choose the suffering that comes from sacrifice, you too will please the one who called you, Jesus Christ. In order to illustrate this idea of the kind of suffering that we must endure, the second analogy Paul makes is that of an athlete. Verse 5, if a man also strive for masteries, now, this word, this phrase, strive for masteries, and then later on, strive lawfully, strive for masteries, this word comes from one, one Greek word, okay? And I'm actually going to pronounce this word for you, okay? You ready for a little Greek lesson this morning? And I want you to tell me what English word it sounds like, okay? The Greek word that's used here is the Greek word athleo, athleo. Does that, does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's the word we get the word athlete from. What he's talking about here, he's start really dry, drawing an athletic analogy. He's talking about someone who is striving for masteries in an athletic competition, someone who is competing as an athlete. The suffering of an athlete that Paul wants to emphasize is his disciplining of himself to compete according to the rules. All games and athletic competitions have rules. One of the things I try to do on a regular basis is I try to go running um, several, several times a week. Before I went to India, I did quite a bit of running, and I competed in two different marathons. My first marathon was in Columbia, South Carolina, and then I did another one in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've never done really well. I think my best time was in Columbia, finished in five hours and four minutes, something like that. So it's a long time to be running. But the rules for running in a marathon are very, very simple. All you need to do is follow the designated route, 26.2 miles, and you can't do anything that would give you an unfair advantage. Okay? You can't jump on a bicycle and bike part of the way. You can't hitch a ride with someone and ride part of the way. You've got to run those 26.2 miles on your own two feet. But disciplining yourself to compete according to those rules takes a lot of discipline. It does involve a lot of suffering. And that suffering begins months before the marathon ever begins. Out there every day, running, training, on the weekends doing your long runs, 10 miles, 15 miles, 18 miles. And then the day of the marathon. Got to be out there. You have to get up usually very early to be there on time, around the time the sun comes up. And then you start running. And by 13.1 miles, I'm ready to be done. But you've only run halfway. You've got 13 more one miles to go. By 20 miles, things are getting very, very painful. Um, 
25 miles. Oh, you've just got a little further to go. And then 26.2 miles, you finished. But your suffering has only begun. As your body realizes that you've just run 26.2 miles. And then you begin feeling a lot of pain and suffering. And why do we suffer? Why do we do, why do people run marathons? I have no idea. I guess we're all just crazy, aren't we? But if you suffer by adhering to the rules and you perform well, you will receive a prize. Paul is warning us that we must be willing to suffer well. And sometimes our suffering is like that of an athlete. As Christians, we must maintain a lifestyle that is pleasing to the Lord. It involves denying ourselves of certain things that people of the world freely enjoy. The Christian life demands self-denial and discipline, which will involve suffering. But we must make up our minds that we will suffer well and ask God to help us to do so. But we, too, will receive a reward. We, too, will receive a crown. Later on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says that the Lord will give a crown of righteousness to all who love his appearing. Are you willing to suffer the self-denial and the discipline of the Christian life in order to perpetuate gospel ministry? The final analogy that Paul draws is there in verse 6. The final illustration of a farmer of a husbandman. A farmer must work hard, but his reward is that he receives the first fruits of his labor. As Christians, we must be prepared to suffer. If we are going to perpetuate gospel ministry, we must be willing to undergo the suffering of constant labor and toil, like a farmer might endure. But there will be a reward. Look at verse 6. The farmer who labors diligently must be first partaker of the fruits. If you have labored well, you will be rewarded with a harvest. If you are labor well as a servant of Christ to perpetuate gospel ministry, being willing to endure suffering, God will reward you for your labor. Are you willing to suffer? Can you suffer well? Can you suffer as a soldier? Can you suffer as an athlete? Can you suffer as a farmer? This is what it's going to take in order to perpetuate gospel ministry. Paul's been giving these these four instructions to Timothy about perpetuating gospel ministry. The first commandment is what? Be strong in Christ's grace. The second command was what? Commit what you've learned to others. The third command... Endure hardness, suffer well. And the final command, verse 7, consider what I say. Consider these things. Paul wants us to understand what he's saying and to meditate on these things, to be thinking about these things, to have these things captured in our minds. But when you obey this injunction to consider these things, we are promised that the Lord will give you understanding in all things. That doesn't simply terminate with an intellectual comprehension, but it will flourish into a practical application of what Paul is teaching here in this passage. At the beginning of this message, I related to you the story of the Hindustan Bible Institute. They had built this this wonderful college, this wonderful institute, but they were failing. They were failing in accomplishing their vision 
to deliver over what they had learned, to commit what they had learned to faithful men who would go out and teach others also. They were failing in their mission to perpetuate gospel ministry. But that's not the end of the story. Things changed there at the Hindustan Bible Institute. The college leadership was allowing themselves to be strengthened by Christ's grace. And they meditated, they considered the need to reproduce ministers of the gospel. And so they began developing programs that targeted faithful men. They didn't want students who simply wanted a degree from an accredited college, a BTH or an MDiv or an MA. They wanted students, they wanted students who were faithful men, who were determined to go out and teach others, who would evangelize the lost, who would plant churches, who would perpetuate gospel ministry. And so God gave the leadership a vision for providing non-formal training that attracted the kind of students that they were looking for. The students received solid biblical training, but it wasn't a degree program. It was simply Bible training. But it wasn't just theoretical training. It was very, very practical. The students were required to go back to their villages between training sessions, and they would practice teaching and discipling others right there in their own village. But starting such a program was not easy. It involved a lot of hard work and suffering just like Paul talks about. But the leadership was willing to suffer in order to perpetuate the gospel ministry. And when we follow the guidelines in this passage, God will bless our efforts to expand the influence of the gospel through faithful men. But God wants to use those who are willing, those who are submitted to him. We must allow ourselves to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We must allow God to give us understanding in all things. We must be willing to suffer the work and the hardship it demands. What are you doing today to perpetuate the gospel ministry? Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for opening our minds to the gospel and drawing us into faith. We thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that we would be faithful in passing on this gospel witness to others for your honor, for your glory, so that the Gentiles may glorify you for your mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.